0: In the moments when I sort of capitulate and, and don't listen to my intuition, it's because I'm I'm hoping that I'm wrong, I, I want to be wrong, I want to believe that I'm wrong, because I'm just not ready to let go of whatever dream I sold myself on at the outset of whatever relationship, whether it was professional or personal.
1: Welcome to The Signal Podcast, the podcast that raises your frequency. I'm Maury Fontanus, purpose coach to some of the leading voices in our culture today, from top CEOs to Hollywood stars, best-selling authors to world-class artists. In coaching these incredible humans, one truth has become abundantly clear. No matter who we are, we all carry pain, joy, and the desire to feel connected to a sense of purpose. This podcast is my way of extending some of the powerful lessons of my proven method to you so that hopefully you too can be inspired to heal the white noise of your limiting beliefs and tune into the signal of your intuitive wisdom. Welcome to Signal. I have a special episode for you all today. Today's discussion is with Haley. Haley lives in the UK and she is the head of people and culture at a very successful startup. The difference between our other episodes and today's is that I have been coaching Haley for quite a while, almost a year. And what you're going to hear today in my session with Haley is really someone who has done enough of this work on intuition and limiting belief systems that it started to become a more self-guided practice for her. And at this point in the journey, I become more of a tool to go deeper, to look at things that maybe she hasn't considered. But what you're gonna notice in this session is that Haley uses the language of intuition quite freely and is really trying to now enhance her ability to trust her intuition when she's in moments of conflict, particularly in romantic relationships. So take a listen and enjoy. Hey, Signal listeners, a couple quick disclaimers before we get started. Maury is not a licensed therapist, and this is not a therapy session intuition and purpose coaching with Maury is usually a six-month process. And what you're about to hear is just a snippet of what these sessions sound like. That said, this is a real coaching session with real people featuring real strategies that Maury uses in her method. All right, let's get to today's episode. Haley, we talked about you really kind of trying to zone in on one thing, you know, if we have an hour together and you could leave here with some clarity, what is your intention for our time together? What, what's your objective? What would you like to focus on?
0: Great question, Maury. Uh, A a little bit of uh, a very small background for anybody listening and especially those who may be hearing my voice for the first time. Uh, I'm a, a a survivor of domestic violence and abuse. And as a result, that's really colored Uh, how I view the world in certain situations. And what I've come to realize uh, throughout uh, various coaching sessions is that I have learned as a result of my life experiences to not always trust my intuition. And in not trusting my intuition, I put my trust into others above myself. So today, my intention is I would really like to learn how to trust myself and my intuition in the face of opposing perspectives, especially perhaps from those that I view to trust.
1: Beautiful. Tell me a little bit about your operating system when it comes to disagreement. And actually, if you could break it down in three ways what did that look like in your family? What does it look like in romantic relationships? And what does it look like at work? You have a really big and important job too. So what's been your operating system around opposing views? How did you in the past deal with them?
0: The easiest one perhaps to answer first is uh, when I think about professional relationships. Generally speaking, I am quite an open person and I like to approach most situations without judgment from a professional capacity it's really about listening to understand opposing points of view and really taking those perspectives on board and I find sometimes that that's a lot easier to do in a professional capacity because there are boundaries just built in to the workplace that makes maintaining those boundaries a little bit easier keyword a little bit personal so say in romantic relationships i would argue that I take the same approach, really trying to understand the other point of view. Because of my history and my experiences in romantic relationships where it hasn't always been healthy, sometimes this approach of really wanting to understand the other perspective, being open to seeing someone else's side of things, if the relationship's not healthy, that can sometimes be a bit challenging because you are maybe dismantling boundaries, uh, dismantling a healthy boundary in pursuit of an unhealthy boundary because you are so open and non-judgmental and wanting to understand another point of view. Mm-hmm. And from family perspective, I, you know, I've been very fortunate to be raised in a household where certainly between my mother and I, we were always very open and were able to discuss how we felt and able to resolve conflict certainly as I got older in a much healthier way but like so much trauma it can be generational and the interesting thing I think at the parent-child relationship is that oftentimes parents are learning their own lessons as they are going through the process of um, raising their kids and the older you get I think the more you can appreciate that those dynamics Uh, Can ebb and flow throughout this at every stage of life that you go and as your parents are learning the lessons right there alongside you uh, growing up. So,
1: what I heard you say is that when you feel there are clear boundaries already predetermined, the managing of a view that's opposing to yours feels safer than if there are not predetermined boundaries laid.
0: Yes. I think, you know, thank you. You always have such an eloquent way of summing up what I'm trying to say. Yes. Predetermined boundaries makes it really easy to maintain. When the boundaries are open to my own interpretation, I'm much more likely to let my boundaries fall second to other boundaries around me, even if in doing so it's to my detriment.
1: Yeah. And so when you say predetermined boundaries and you're going right where I was going to go, Who is determining those boundaries, the ones that make you feel safe?
0: Well, I think in a professional capacity, the internal culture of the business plays a a huge role in understanding what, uh, in in really setting and maintaining those boundaries. That's quite clear and and, um, easy to, to understand because those concepts in a work perspective are well understood. I think where things become more challenging on personal relationships is that you can assume that in personal relationships, those same boundaries exist as in you would always assume that the person you're dealing with because you love and care about them, that they therefore must love and care about you in the same way. And so sometimes the you are imprinting onto the other person what you believe those boundaries to be. Even though sometimes actions and behaviors would say the opposite. In a professional capacity, you've got many different stakeholders maintaining those boundaries. But in a person, when it's uh, on a more personal level, if there's only two people in the room and you, someone like myself, naturally is questioning themselves and their own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. That there's only sort of, if you've only got one person that you're playing off of, that can become more challenging versus many people who may hold similar beliefs to you and can help maintain those boundaries and the sort of community spirit that you can find at times in a professional setting.
1: Right. So there's safety in numbers. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (laughs) So what I'm hearing is that when the boundaries are set externally and they are upheld collectively by... A multi, you know, multitude of people, then you feel more safe with conflict. Absolutely right. And what you're saying is that when those boundaries then have to be upheld by and created by self, that's where we get a little sticky. We Get so sticky. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But let's dive in actually for a minute because I think that you know there's so much to learn from the way we conduct ourselves professionally that we can apply to our personal lives. Mm-hmm. Right? And the reason is because we have been trained maybe to take business less personally, even though it is personal. And so there is this side of us that does not have all of these stories about what we deserve or don't deserve because we're kind of – we've walked in and we've agreed to a code of conduct. We've agreed to culture that exists there. And so if we can learn from that and apply it to your personal life. And, and specifically around your question of how do I trust my intuition in the face of opposing views, what is the type of opposition that really gets to you and makes you break down the fastest? What kind of response or reaction or opposition, what does it look like? What does it sound like? Like, take us there. That kind of makes you really go into self-doubt and shut down.
0: Admittedly, I don't deal very well with uh, anger and aggression. I enjoy a bit of healthy conflict. I'm always open to differing perspectives. I think that having a healthy amount of, uh, when I say conflict, I mean different points of view is what challenges us. It makes us better. It's when those points of views are presented in a disrespectful way, and I think we can find disrespect <laughs> uh, both in the workplace as well as in our personal relationships. And when feeling disrespected, that's when I find I can find myself shutting down because it can be quite challenging to respond to as that's not a way that I would ever treat somebody else and so my operating system so to speak has real difficulty processing that in the moment because mm-hmm. it's it almost feels overwhelmed by how to deal with that type of behavior
1: And at work, your operating system may shut down. But what I heard you say is it feels that it can rely on the agreed upon code of conduct. So there's some strength you find in coming back to say, no, 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 this is not our culture. This is not the way we do things here because we've all agreed. When it's personal and it's just you, what happens then in terms of a boundary?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And you're right. And that's where I default to being more of a people pleaser, compromising on my own thoughts, feelings, and beliefs in order to reduce or minimize the conflict, trying to find a way forward from there. But that of course doesn't always work. And while that, I, I might not always take that approach, that would be my first response if left unchecked.
1: Yeah. And when you are in this kind of conflict and disrespect is really that piece. That kind of makes you doubt yourself. What are those doubting voices saying? So you're being disrespected in that conflict. What do those voices pop up to say to you?
0: This is uh, the the language that starts going through my head is you're wrong. Depending on what has sparked the conflict, you're bad. I'm. I'm paraphrasing but it's this feeling of not being enough of of just feeling like you I've really got it wrong somewhere and almost embarrassed there's an element of shame and guilt that's there as well because as I said if it's not something if you could never imagine treating someone you care about in that way is that where in the past my thoughts have gone is that if someone who cares about me could be this disrespectful. There must be a reason for that. And that reason must be me. So what have I done wrong to uh, provoke that sort of response?
1: And when you go down that questioning of yourself, what do you come back with?
0: I mean, the, the answer is usually quite self-critical. And the the challenge is, uh, as I said, is that in the moment, when you're in a moment of conflict and things are heated Sometimes what you need is just space and time. It doesn't need to be a lot of time to just, you know, slow down your breath and really try and think and cut through the emotion, which is, that's usually what's coming up. Those thoughts that I explained to you are more the emotional response that is getting in the way. But that emotion means that I'm not connecting to how I really feel, what that intuition is, where my truth is. And so, the emotion is blocking me from accessing that truth that's inside me. Um, And sometimes I think that the reason I'm blocked from that truth is I'm purposefully blocking myself from it because the truth itself might not be the popular thing. It might not be on one level what I really want to do or what I really want to face or really want to accept. Um, and so sometimes it's easier to say, in, instead of sort of speaking your truth, it's easier to say, oh, well, it's me, I, I'm the problem, and just smooth it over to make it all go away. But it, it never really goes away.
1: And what does intuition do when you keep shoving it under the rug? You know,
0: I guess the best way to put it is I, I have a saying, I don't always listen to it. <laughs> but, I you know, it's the saying of, the hardest thing to do in the short term is often the best thing to do in the long term. You know, conversely, the easiest thing to do in the short term is the hardest thing to do in the long term. And so by suppressing your intuition in the short term, it might make you feel better immediately because you're like, okay, I've made the discomfort of that interaction go away. But in the long run, it keeps coming back because you've never really dealt with it. Whereas in the short term, If you're able to say, actually, this is really challenging and this is really difficult and I am going to find comfort in the discomfort of the situation because I know I'm being true to myself. That is incredibly difficult to do. It takes a lot of courage and strength and the courage and strength comes from, you know, your your convictions and and really listening to yourself and recognizing that we there is no certainty there's just making the best decision that you can with the information that you have available in that moment. Um, but sometimes that can feel really scary and that's okay, I guess.
1: (laughs) And so Haley, you know, all of this, take (laughs) me to the moment where you do the opposite. What's happening that makes you take this knowing and put it away.
0: There's a an, an element of hope that clouds your intuition, and what I mean by that is that hope is maybe not grounded in reality. I think you know we all have moments in our lives where we find ourselves in situations and relationships, you know, whether it's um, a romantic partner, a friendship, even sometimes in a professional sense, where
1: a job, yeah. yeah,
0: a job where you enter into a relationship with these real rose-colored glasses and you see all the best parts of it um and we have a tendency to sometimes downplay or minimize uh the red flags and so I think in those moments of self-doubt where I downplay my intuition or I decide not to listen to it is you go back to focusing on only the good things and completely disregard those red flags because there's that hope that actually, maybe you're seeing it all wrong. Like maybe if you give yourself a little bit more time, or maybe if you think about it differently, or maybe if you try a little bit harder, maybe all those good things are still there. And those red flags are just sort of in your mind. And so in the moments when I sort of capitulate and and don't listen to my intuition, it's because I'm I'm hoping that I'm wrong. I, I want to be wrong. I want to believe that I'm wrong. Because I'm just not ready to let go of whatever dream I sold myself on at the outset of whatever relationship, whether it was professional or personal.
1: Haley just hit on something that trips a lot of us up, which is the concept of hope. And that when we are in a dynamic that feels like it is not aligned for our best interest, sometimes we stay in that dynamic because of hope because we hope the dynamic will change, because we hope the person will change. What I really hear when I hear people saying this is that they're just hoping for an experience that feels loving. They're hoping for an experience of feeling seen. And where we get stuck is on attaching that experience to specific people and places that this job must feel like this. No, we just want to feel like this when we are working. This relationship with this person needs to feel fulfilling. No, I just want to be in a relationship where I feel fulfilled. And so we mistake hope as dangerous, when really all it's trying to inform us is around our desires, what we really want. And if we can detach those desires from the situation or the person sitting across from us, then hope can actually be really directive and energizing. Let's go right into that, because that's where I think we can start to create a strategy with intuition. Because what I'm hearing you say is that you're aware of your intuitive thoughts, you know how to access them, and often when they come in, they come in when you're not ready to make a change. And so you ignore them because you don't want to follow the direction it's giving. Is that right so far? Bingo. That is spot on. Okay. Okay. So let's go right to the heart of that moment. When you are... Experiencing a letdown in a relationship where you convinced yourself it was one way, and then the truth becomes clear, and your intuition starts making you feel very aligned with that truth. It's showing you, no, you're looking at the truth right now. What is it that you're desperately hoping for in that moment? What do you really want? If you had a magic wand, what would you do? I mean, the
0: direct answer is in a lot of the magic wand is to change the person across from you. You know, it's it's as simple as that, is that you are holding out, hoping, willing them to make up that gap from where you are and they are. And especially if you're you put in everything that you can do and you're making the changes and you're trying and you're doing all of it, but they're not able to make you. Meet you half, you know. Meet you halfway, or whatever. You know, whatever the right distances that they need to go, is that what your intuition? I think is certainly what my intuition is telling me is, as much as you care about this person, about this job, about this relationship, about this friendship, about whatever it is, is that it is not able to give you what you need, and that's okay. But coming to terms with that is incredibly difficult because it means having to let go.
1: Hold on. I'm going to stop you right there, actually, because I think this is the common place people become paralyzed (laughs) from what they're hearing from their intuition. So when you're in an interaction where it becomes clear you're not getting what you need, is intuition saying you're not getting what you need? Or is intuition saying you need to leave this relationship? That's a great question.
0: I think, yeah, intuition is saying you need to leave this relationship.
1: Really check in. When it's your intuitive thought, is it saying, you need to leave? No, right that's
0: fear. Or is it, I need to leave can be a fear response. And I know that that's certainly one that I can default to as well, is instead of dealing with this head on, it's easier to, to leave. Like, fine, I'm, I'm just going to go versus what I need. I mean, I, I, I'll i be honest with you. I'm, I'm feeling a bit stuck by the question. My intuition is saying, you know, this is what I need. And I want to be able to address that directly with the person. Correct. And to do it in a way that's non-emotional, which can sometimes mean having to stop a conversation and coming back to it at a time that is more appropriate. Um, because if that emotion is there, it means you're not necessarily accessing your your intuition because you might be feeling triggered or in the heat of the moment.
1: So it's a, it's a nudge in that moment that says, ugh, this does not feel like what we need. Yes. This is not aligned to what we need. Yes. And that's non-emotional, right? It's just stating a fact to you? Yes. Okay. So you said something that I think is so interesting that I think a lot of us are in this fantasy of, which is that when we are in an interaction, either in a job or a romantic relationship or whatever it might be, we are looking at the other person, looking at the other situation, and we're willing it to change, to meet us halfway. And then you have intuition over here saying, this is what you need, and you're not getting what you need. How can the situation or the person become informed about what halfway even looks like?
0: My personal perspective on this is that you need to you need to be able to have that conversation with them directly and to be able to express this is what I need from you and this is why this is why I feel this way and really focusing the why on sort of i statements rather than making it about them and helping them to understand what that good looks like. I think in doing that and by putting yourself out there and having that vulnerability in return, you also need to be open to their response to that and recognizing that in that moment, they might not necessarily be where you are. And the response that you get from them in that moment might be an emotional response itself. And resolving this type of conflict might take more than one or two interactions. Not getting the response or answer that you maybe need in the moment doesn't mean that it's not possible for it to come, but you also need to give time for that person to really process it as well.
1: So we're about to hit on something here that makes Haley tear up a little. And one note on emotion in this method. Emotion to me is always a signal that I have just put into language the words that the other person feels most describes their truth. It's this experience of feeling totally seen It's this experience of feeling that our truth is valid, that it is something that deserves airtime, that often will catch people in an emotional place. And that's always a really good sign to me that we're on the right track because even if their fear or their intellect will not allow them to embrace their truth, the emotion will always be the telltale sign that we just hit something that was meaningful. So what if instead of using intuition as police that tell you it's time to go, what if what it's really trying to do is just inform you about your truth constantly? So that instead of feeling that it's dictating an action, what it's doing is funneling truth about who you are and what you require to feel seen.
0: People won't be able to see this, but... My eyes are getting a little bit wet, so I think that we've hit onto we've hit onto a truth there, and I think you're absolutely right. It's what you've just said. I think is something actually that I've really been struggling with over the course of the last couple of weeks as I kind of um, work through some some challenges that you know I'm, I'm facing at the moment and wanting to understand the role that intuition should play in helping me navigate these challenges. And you're right. Sometimes the paralysis can come from a feeling of, I I have to do that thing. If I don't do that thing, then I'm not listening to my intuition. It doesn't need to be that
1: binary or that black and white. Right. Because... When you allow yourself to be in alignment with intuition, all that means is that you're in alignment with truth. When you allow yourself to be in alignment with truth and you speak your truth, that's how you provide people with the map for how to meet you halfway, right? Otherwise, they are going by your projections. They're going by the little itty-bitty crumbs you're willing to give yourself, And therefore give them as instructions for how to treat you. Because you're obviously, we're afraid that if we speak our truth, then that'll be rejected and that's a separate thing. But for now, as we look at trusting intuition, all you're asking it to do is, is this in line with my truth? What do I, what is for my highest good? And to just be able to hear that and then the courageous conversation is about that hey, what I need in a relationship is this, this, and that. That way you've now stated clearly what the roadmap looks like. If we accept the notion that our higher self, that our intuitive wisdom is there to constantly feed us reminders of who we are really and what we truly want to feel fulfilled, then we can accept that stating those needs out loud are the only way that other people can quote unquote meet us in the middle. And so you hear Haley talk about being met in the middle here and what you're hearing me do is try to nudge her towards understanding that if we don't hand people the instruction manual, then they're not sure exactly what it is that we need and they are guessing. And if they are guessing and our fear stops us from letting intuition speak up about our needs, then there is no clarity in that relationship and there is no hope of truly being met in the middle. What you cannot control is their reaction and their actions. And so what happens naturally in any dynamic is that they then receive or don't that information, and it either informs or doesn't their treatment of you. As you continue down this path of I'm stating my truth, now you're receiving it and you're reacting or you're not. Okay, now I'm stating my truth. Now you're receiving it and you're reacting or not. You're either building on a frequency together that is called growth together and change together Or you are building on a frequency where you are escalating by yourself because you're becoming more aligned with your higher self, with your truth, and that other person has chosen to stay behind. That is then their choice, right? This is the intelligence of intuition. If intuition looked at your relationship and told you two years ago, this is going to end and you need to leave, you'd be like, hell no. And I don't trust you and I'm never listening to you again. So what does it do instead? What it does instead is say, let's make sure this is for your highest good. This is your highest good. Can you say that out loud? Great. Okay, now this is for your highest good. Can you say that out loud? Great. And if the person cannot meet you there at that frequency, they will naturally go away.
0: Yes. And I think while you've been talking, it really, I think what sort of clicked for me is that your intuition It's there to guide you in the moment. It's not there to tell you what's going to happen specifically, you know, 10 steps down the line, your intuition, as I said, it guides you in the, in the moment and helps you understand your truth in in the moment. But it also doesn't have any preconceived ideas of what the truth looks like in the future, because we are growing and changing individuals and our truth will grow, grow and change alongside of us.
1: Absolutely. It'll tell you what you're ready for. Some people can intuit 10 steps down the line because they're ready for it. Yes. Right? Yeah.
0: And it's not coming from a place of fear as well. Correct. And I think, you know, Correct. there's some, uh, I think a lot of decisions can, well, not a lot, but there's an underlying emotion that's driving it. Whereas into the intuition is, it's a truth rather than an emotion.
1: And so now let's get to the heart of your question, which is when I am facing an opposing view and my intuition is speaking to me. Now let's look at what it's really saying. When you're in a dynamic where your intuition is saying, what you, we need right now is for our thoughts to be valued and for that to be demonstrated by the person stopping and listening. If you were to share that need, what is an opposing view that you would get?
0: Either downplaying my experience, um, perhaps belittling or disregarding those needs or feelings, approaching it with a lack of empathy or kindness or compassion. Uh, I mean, I do recognize that sometimes in the heat of the moment, emotions can be present. Sometimes, you know, they can present themselves in any way. But that opposing view... And certainly, if the reaction that you if the reaction that you get you perceive as being negative, whether it's if it comes across as being combative or aggressive, or emotional, it's about remembering that that's about that person's reaction, the other person's reaction. It's really about it's about them, and not to take that reaction and make it about myself. I.e. I if someone gets upset with my truth that doesn't make me bad. That's just their reaction to it. And there's, as I said before, I think there's strength and courage in standing by your convictions and by your truth. And instead of feeling bad about it is you should actually feel proud that you've been able to voice what that truth is, because I think we've all been there and it can be incredibly challenging to do. Um, And it's something that we, yeah, should be, be proud of.
1: So what I heard you just say is that when it is you stating your truth, there is no opposing it. Yeah. Now, your truth and your needs can make people feel things, right? And they're absolutely allowed to have those feelings. But if those feelings are attempting to oppose your truth, it's called gaslighting. When you are in alignment with intuition, when you're in alignment with higher self, and you now have reframed that relationship to say, oh, no, you're just nudging me towards my highest good, which means you're always going to just tell me what I need to be in my truth. And if I say that out loud, and this person tells me my truth is not real, I'm being gaslit. And it's easy to be gaslit when we walk in with those younger parts of ourselves who don't feel good enough, who feel like what you said is being wrong is bad, which I know for you being wrong was dangerous. So when you have those parts of you that are still stuck and need to be nurtured, it's important to just recognize that when those feelings come up of I'm not enough or I'm wrong, that that is who? Who's speaking? A much younger,
0: very scared version of myself.
1: And is she capable of navigating an adult romantic relationship? No. (laughs) Is she capable of navigating a senior leadership team meeting in your company? No. So it's okay when that feeling comes up to go ahead and visualize what it really is. Visualize 12-year-old Haley right there standing there saying it so that you can see, ah, you're there. You're not not there. But you also can't be in this board meeting. You can't be in this engagement, in this marriage, in this whatever. You're not old enough. Who is the voice that can be and is capable of navigating those things? My
0: higher self.
1: Your higher self. You know, the more you do it, we've talked about this, this becomes not a 30-second pause, it becomes a two-second pause of acknowledgement quickly, gotcha, 12-year-old Haley, feel you. What do I know? What do I know in my bones? Okay. The courage, the work is to say that because when we say that, 12-year-old Haley's also watching and she's also like, wait a minute, what's going to happen? I know I was trying to get her not to say it because we need love. I was trying not to get her not to say it because we need to be safe, but hold on a minute. She just said it. So now what? She gets to watch the now what, which is most of the time people will rise to the occasion or the situation will organically shift so that you get your needs met. But the only way she can see that is if you enact that and she gets to watch it, right?
0: Yes. And when you're allowing a 12-year-old to make these decisions on your behalf, you know, they... It it is coming from an emotional place. You can feel it. You know, there's there's a sense of chaos almost. It feels like inside you. You can't quite put your finger on it, but it's usually that twelve year old yes. who's who's creating it. But when those when those decisions, whether it's as you say in a boardroom or, or within um, a romantic relationship, when those decisions are coming from a place of your higher self, there's the calm that accompanies it is one of the most incredible feelings you can ever possibly experience.
1: Yes. And to make that cemented within you, can I give you a rule to follow? Yes. That you promise promise. to follow for yourself, which is unless I am coming from that state of clarity and calm, I don't have to say anything. I will not say anything.
0: I have actually found myself doing this much more is actually not responding not stonewalling I want to be very clear is that it's not stonewalling someone in a conversation but really taking the time to to pause and think and sometimes just not necessarily proceed with a clear response and just say I'm not ready for that conversation right now is that actually the ability to be okay with not saying anything is again incredibly powerful because not saying something is in many ways accepting your truth and your own intuition and not feeling that you need to justify or explain yourself to another person.
1: Correct. And you know what? I hear when you said that, I heard all of those nervous voices out there saying, well, what if there there is a situation where you have to react, right? What if I have to say something? And I'll tell you, and I bet you that you could underscore this, there is no situation where you can't take a beat And try and tell the difference between your fear-triggered voice and your calm voice. And this is coming from someone who's managed crisis in corporations. There is no situation, would you agree, where you can't just take a minute? Absolutely right. There, There is no situation
0: where you can't just take a minute. And sometimes that minute can be a big breath in and a big breath out while you gather your thoughts.
1: Good. And all I'm asking you to do in that minute is really see the younger one, visualize her saying those fear thoughts, and then tap into the calmer knowing. What is it that I know? And practice the courage of saying the knowing part out loud. Absolutely. Right? That's what the pause is asking you to do. Now, when you put that knowing out there of what you need, of what's in alignment with you, no, you cannot be promised the reaction you're going to get. So who's going to pop back up when you get a reaction that doesn't feel good? 12 year old self. Right. And what is she looking for?
0: I think she's probably looking for some kind of validation, but the validation isn't going to come from another person. The validation is going to come from yourself and by listening to you and what you need. And I think you want so desperately for someone else who is not you to meet the needs of that 12 year old when really what that 12 year old wants is for you to meet their needs by listening to to yourself uh, and not compromising and and being okay with not needing other people's
1: acceptance or approval. Beautiful. And the topper on all of this that allows you to do this and just give it some time and space is trust and faith. Because then when you believe that your higher self is guiding you towards what is in your best interest, then you know that if you leave it, a million outcomes could produce themselves that you did not expect, but that you have the trust and faith that they're getting you to higher ground. I, my spiritual coach always says this or better. And when we don't listen to intuition and we don't allow, we're actually taking the longer route. You still get guided towards what's in your best interest, but when you listen you get there faster.
0: Oh my goodness. I, I really don't think that you could have said it any better. You're right. We would have got there a lot sooner, but it is is—it is that fear that we're like, okay, well, I'll try it. I'll try it this way. And so you're right. is By listening to our intuition, we usually end up where we're going. We just get there a little bit faster.
1: And you know what? Intuition never penalizes you because it understands that you're healing. And so sometimes you're going to listen to that fear voice. So it's not like it punishes you by stop talking to you. It, it's understanding that you are working on those fear voices, but the more you tune in, then the more you can pick up and the faster you can get there. So let me ask you back, right back at you, how do, are you going to learn to trust higher self when you're in the face of opposing perspectives?
0: My strategy is first to pause just take a moment, whether that's a deep breath, whether it's a quick count of three, and recognizing whether my 12-year-old self is in the room with me, whether that emotion is there, or whether I'm responding from a place of, of calm. And I think it's also about being kind to myself, knowing that however I show up and respond in that moment, it's coming from the best place possible, the best place possible at the time, And also allowing in that moment for the other person to respond in kind and not passing or holding judgment if they are not able to respond in the way that I maybe need in that moment.
1: Yeah. And remember that if you listen to higher self, it's just telling you what you need in line with your truth. It's not gonna force you to decide something you're not ready to decide. Absolutely right. Thanks for listening to Signal. This podcast is hosted by me, Maury Fontanez, and produced by myself, Anais Aslami, and the talented team at Terra Firma, Casey Helmick and Lauren Hall. Please join us again next week for another great episode of Signal.